Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloisa, and today's guest is the co-founder of the leading platform, Sutra, designed to empower fitness entrepreneurs to take their personal brand to the next level. From enabling bookings to hosting on-demand classes and so much more, Sutra acts as back-end administrative support so business entrepreneurs can focus on what matters most, teaching and engaging with clients and creating their own fitness empires. Welcome, Rachel Leah Fishman. Thanks for having me. Of course, Rachel, thanks for coming on. You've got such a dynamic background from earning a degree in political science to being a law clerk, then a product manager for a software company, to then becoming a yoga instructor, and now the co-founder of an incredible SaaS tool. You know, reading through, it's almost like you took the greatest parts of what you loved in software and then fitness and created this perfect blend that enables others with a similar passion to take control of their personal brands. So I guess in your own words, I kind of just introed you for you, but what got you started? How, how did you get into this space? Yeah, of course, you, sum, you summed it all up. That's, that's what I've done in my whole life. No, um, so my background, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, East Coaster at heart. Um, I wasn't very athletic, but I was very clumsy. Um, I ended up tearing both of my ACLs not at the same time. So I tore one my junior year of high school, one my senior year of high school. Um, if you know anything about a knee injury, I don't know if you've met anyone with ACL tears. They know you work with a lot of athletes. Um, they're awful and you get a lot of scar tissue, which essentially makes your knee confined and it can't bend or straighten clearly. Um, so I came out to sunny California to go to UCLA with essentially two bum knees that couldn't fully bend or straighten. Um, and a friend pointed me in the right direction of yoga. It's like, hey, you should try this. The heat will loosen up your muscles. Um, went to my parents. They were like, yeah, good luck. You can go to the UCLA gym. We're not paying the crazy boutique fitness prices for you to go practice at a yoga studio. Um, so of course, I don't like to take no for an answer. Um, I found a program where essentially I could clean the studio and get a discount on memberships. Um, and then the rest was history. I just became so obsessed, not only because it helped heal my knees, but there were these instructors that were absolutely inspiring with what they said, how they led me through my practice, spending extra time staying with me after class, talking about exercises I could do at the studio. Um, and this is very common when someone becomes an instructor, there's someone that changes your life. You're like, oh my God, I have to do this for other people. Um, so immediately after being hooked, I'm now taking it to the studio twice a day. I'm essentially living there. Um, I decided to become an instructor. So I did my 200 hour power training. I did my group fitness certification. Um, fast forward, I'm like recording some YouTube videos to go teach at a studio, um, get my first job. And then I look at how much I'm getting paid. Like, okay, that's, you know, I'm, I want it so badly. I'm going to sub any class and I'm going to take whatever wages they give me. Um, and the more I started to teach, the more I realized how much hard work goes into being an instructor. I think you take a class and you don't realize that there's an hour of planning that goes before and there's the client connections afterwards, and they're the DMs that come in from students. And now I'm like cleaning mats and rolling towels. And I'm like, how did I get to this place where I'm doing so much, which is incredible. Um, but I'm also packing out 60 person rooms and I'm doing the math in my head. And I'm like, how is it possible that the humans that should be ruling the world are not running the show? Um, I was working for a big box studio at the time and also a mom and pop studio. And I saw the smaller business go through the same struggles um, of doing the exact same thing and just scraping by. Um, so studio owners have the same issues. 
And then at the same time, I'm sitting behind the front desk and I'm like, this looks like it's built in the 80s. Why is this such a problem in the fact that people are sitting here in this tech when they should be teaching? Um, so long story short, left my job to start Sutra. Mission being, how do we empower those that should be running this industry to be running this industry and not let technology be a barrier? Um, and so hence Sutra was born. Um, pandemic hit. I was some tech girl working on some tech thing. And we got very, very lucky and now have an amazing user base of people that use us to run their entire business. So right now, how you can think about Sutra is like Shopify. Shopify enables business owners to spin up an e-commerce store in under an hour. Um, in under an hour, either a solopreneur or an entire team can spin up either a fitness or wellness business, think business in a box, doing anything from live classes, on-demand video libraries, courses, retreats, privates, options are endless in terms of what you can sell. I love that. You know, I can really appreciate the hustle that you had. You really went through every single pain point that these fitness entrepreneurs and trainers are experiencing. And you saw, you're like, you know, there's something better out of this. Like, I can make a business out of this. How can I use technology in a way that'll help not only empower others to be able to do so, but do it efficiently and at scale as well? So, I think for me, I'd love to better understand like, how does technology, how does technology play a role into the formation of Sutra? Like, how did your background in technology? Yeah, yeah. Your thought process. So. My background pre-starting Sutra, I was a product manager at a tech company, and I genuinely loved solving problems with tech and how that can help one scale. I think what's really difficult about the fitness and wellness industry is that the access to technology is limited. There, yes, there are a lot of players on the market, um, not a lot of players doing it well um, in certain ways. Um, and then on top of that, the people that are typically using this product don't want to be in technology. If you talk to a lot of business owners and fitness instructors, like that's why you get into the business of your craft, which is teaching and connecting and not being on devices. It's kind of like a perfect partnership. We handle the technology so that you don't have to like, we're, it's kind of like a dating app. They're doing their jobs. If you're off of it, we're doing our jobs. If you're not sitting in there trying to figure out how to add a class, you're teaching a class. Um, and so that's where, I was like, oh my God, if we could just make tech that's so easy, um, these people could totally be superstars and build incredible businesses. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, with the fitness industry, there's definitely quite a roller coaster that all players in the space have faced in the past year. I think that we're all kind of over the whole CMP word at this point, but, you know, prior to the year, boutique fitness was quickly surpassing the, the mid-box, big-box space. And as people were looking for this social experience, that's really where boutique fitness came in. So I guess in your perspective, how would you say behaviors have shifted with these varying levels of openings and are consumers looking to retire the at-home or on-demand lifestyle? Yeah, I mean, it's a very loaded question. When the pandemic first hit, everyone said, oh my God, studios are going to open. This business is going to crash and burn tomorrow. And then like two weeks later, we're still in another wave and studios are still shut down. And then everyone's like, oh wait, Maybe it's here to stay. So of course, there can be a lot of questions around behavior. What I will say is ever since the 80s, at-home workouts were a thing. I mean, Jane Fonda, Richard Simmons, dance cardio, then Beachbody came in. Like People have always worked at home, like worked out at home. Peloton came into the mix. People were obsessed. I mean, Peloton's had incredible success. So yes, to say on-demand is dead, I mean, it's always existed and it will be, of course. 
people are like, oh my God, I don't want to be on another screen. I'm sick of tech neck and sitting behind a desk and not being with humans. As humans, we are creatures of community and we are creatures of being together. And so I think we're going to be in a hybrid world. I think people are itching to get back in person. Now, the ways in which they get back in person and how the digital technology we have enhances that is going to be the future. So if I had to make my best guess and what I see happening, at least on our product, is it's going to be a total hybrid solution where people, yeah, they want to go be in person once a week, but they have kids or their work lives have changed. And now they're working from home and things are more convenient to do 30 minutes in their basement in sweatpants and no one looking. Um, so I think on demand is here to stay. With that being said, I'm seeing a lot of rise of workouts in public places. So think park workouts, people renting out studio spaces, um, retreats being booked out in minutes. So there's for sure this crave of getting back in person. I just think people are spending more and more money than ever before in the fitness and wellness industry. And because people are spending more and moving more, it's one great for the industry. It's one great for everyone's health. But I don't think on demand is, is going anywhere. It's just going to shift with the times. Mm -hmm. Yep. You bring up a great point. It really has been around. People are familiar with it. It's just the pandemic, the pandemic definitely sparked up this opportunity that's great and more geared to those fitness entrepreneurs and the, the talent that was actually there. So definitely in agreement with you on that one. You know, in my own personal pers fitness perspective, I've always been the type of consumer that wants this really well-rounded lifestyle. For instance, pre-pandemic, there were instances where I would do Orange Theory one day, yoga the next, CrossFit or F45 the next, and then maybe run a 10K on the weekend. So how would you recommend entrepreneurs or businesses that are either thinking about or already running an online business to be able to track consumers like myself who are kind of like the, the munchers of fitness in a sense? Yeah. I mean, you're not alone, right? ClassPass built <laughs> a huge business off of this concept that we don't do the same thing 24-7. I don't either. I'm literally like you. I'll go to yoga. Then I'll do hit. I like cycling. I run. People love to consume fitness in a variety of ways. So the first thing that I think is most important for an entrepreneur to realize and be okay with is you're not the only human someone is going to work out with. And that's okay. There's, there's no reason to get upset. Like, oh my God, they're now going to someone else from yoga. Am I losing that customer? So the first thing you recognize is people love to move in totally different modalities and they go through waves and obsessions. And that's just the ebb and flow of moving. But what's awesome is like I said before, there's just this abundance of humans that are craving wellness and fitness experiences that there shouldn't be a concern about that. Um, the biggest trends that I'm noticing in the industry is if you're first able to realize that people aren't going to do your workout, your one style all day, every day, is having different modalities. And we're seeing this a lot in the next generation of fitness and wellness entrepreneurs. It's like you teach yoga, but you also teach it. And maybe you do an infusion style where it's dance meditation, or maybe you're doing nutrition coaching on the side. And so to create more of a diverse offering is just going to be more beneficial because you have more to offer. Um, there's a huge trend towards holistic wellness and nutrition, and I'm seeing a lot of our entrepreneurs move into that space as well. Um, and then the second big thing is community building. Our partners really succeed, and the ones that I see crush it are doing some sort of community building that's beyond the workout. Why did people stay? They like why did I stay at the studio when I first started? It's because I'm chit chatting at the end. 
and I want to go get coffee with my instructor. They become my best friend. I mean, we see it on Instagram all the time. People are taking selfies with their, their cycling instructors. They're getting drinks with them. And so how do you create community? We're seeing a lot of wellness events, happy hours, brands that are now coming into play and doing tutorials after, I mean, crazy kinds of things. Um, and then the last thing is you don't have to go at this alone. Like, I think sometimes people think, okay, I'm going to be a fitness entrepreneur. Let's do my own business. I didn't start Sutra by myself. I found someone else who is my co-founder, who's incredible and balances me in a bunch of different ways and has a skill set I don't to tag team it. And so we're seeing a lot of these future businesses. Um, I see duos that are really common, trios, or even full teams of people um, coming at this together in terms of being able to attract the people that want to do yoga and hit because now you have a bunch of different instructors, i.e. the next generation of what would be a studio just in a different way. Definitely. So one part that I kind of wanted to unpack a little bit is going to be like your second point when it came to the community building, you know, connectivity in community is really going to be the name of the game. And I'd be curious, what are your thoughts on just fitness businesses, fitness entrepreneurs shifting into this hybrid on-demand solution how do they maintain that community? How do they keep their members excited, engaged, and inspired? Yeah, I see a lot of Zoom. Zoom is interactive. There's chat in the Zoom feature itself. So I see a lot of that. I see Zoom parties where people go on and do the on-demand videos together. And then I also see social media apps being used. Instagram groups, WhatsApp groups, Facebook groups so that people can talk. Mm -hmm. I think... Partners that are really successful in building community are doing the same things they're doing in person, but they're bringing them online. So coming to class early, staying in class late, asking for feedback via email. It's all the same stuff we were doing in person that created community. You're just using another mode of transportation to like get your humans as connected as ever before. Um, a lot of like sweaty selfies, stuff like that. Um, but I would say the most important thing is some sort of one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's a happy hour getting together on Zoom or phone calls or video calls is actually seeing and hearing people. Yeah, definitely. That's really where technology has kind of elevated this thought processes of how to continue to make those interactions and connections with our members and our clients. Definitely want to kind of touch on a little bit more on the platform and, and, and Sutra itself. And it seems that Sutra really focuses on more on the small business owners with the consumer being really the solo fitness entrepreneurs. So do you find instances where this tool can be attractive for large scale enterprises or even franchises? Yeah, so right now um, we our bread and butter is with individual entrepreneurs that again, are starting to scale. Their businesses are becoming more and more successful and they there are a few different ways to scale, right? You have more customers or you start to scale in locations or team members. And so we are working with a bunch of teams. Um, that is how a lot of these huge franchises started. They had a single location. Maybe the modality was started by one instructor that came up with this awesome modality that was so scalable because people were obsessed. And so today we don't work with franchises. It, franchises have a, a lot going on. I'm sure you know you've worked with franchises. Um, but the next generation of fitness and wellness businesses can be built because there's a solution like Sutra that allows them to grow really quickly. If you think about how long it took Peloton to get where they got to and how incredible and proprietary their technology is, they have a whole team of engineers. 
And just as what Shopify did when they came into the e-commerce space and they disrupted it and they said, hey, you can start a business in not only an hour, you can scale to be Allbirds and you can scale to be across the world and, and become this nationally known brand. Um, Sutra has the potential to do that for the next generation of fitness and wellness businesses. Um, but in short, today, we're not, we're not working with the big box gyms and studios. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because if you put yourself into the eyes of the entrepreneur, having a technology and resource partner like Sutra, not only one, gets them started if they haven't already, but secondly, it helps them scale much more quickly and much more efficiently because digital has a need to be able to expand outside of just their local ge geographic. So kind of putting ourselves like still into the lens of the fitness creator, they've gone through such a wild ride over the past year. And when I was running fitness studios in the past, I always had this mindset that, well, yes, the members always a priority. For me, the talent was of the utmost importance. And with the temporary closures of fitness instructors or fitness studios, instructors were really forced to pivot as a means to be able to honestly keep afloat. And now the key talent that attracted members to a studio has honestly scattered to either other industries or created their own, obviously, as you've, as you've seen. So in your opinion, how do you see fitness studio operators being able to still make those connections back with their top talent? Yeah, so I'll preface this with the fact that I've never owned a studio, um, nor am I a studio owner. We work with a bunch of them and I, I hear stories about this all the time. I just haven't had personal experience with it. I have from an instructor side. I think the first thing that is really important is realizing exactly what you said is there is so much more beyond a workout that is not able to be replicated. Yes, you can have a modality and you can say 15 seconds on and 15 seconds off. And the way you speak is like this, but at the end of the day, humans are not robots and we don't like to consume fitness and wellness experiences by robots. Otherwise we'd all be taught by like AI creatures kind of replicating these experiences. And maybe that'll be like the next generation of, the next company that's able to say like, hey, humans are replaceable. Um, but I'd make the argument that we're not replaceable. It's everything from the intonation in our voice to the energy in the room. Um, back in the day when you could get physical hands-on adjustments, the ability to see anatomy. So if I were a studio owner looking to bring in talent, um, at the end of the day, bringing back new talent is going to come to money. If you left your studio and you're making 10 times more than you ever did at the studio, the studio needs to be able to deliver value. And there are a few different ways studios can deliver value, and I think they will deliver value. Um, first is physical location. They're upkeeping brick and mortar studio. Um, that's really difficult for a solo entrepreneur to do. And there's a lot of value to having a home place to see and connect with students in person. Um, and then the second is marketing. Like a lot of studios work hard on marketing and instructors didn't realize it until now. They're like, oh crap, like, I got to get new students in the door all the time. I have to mean retention. I have to do studio updates. I have to do the legal process behind this whole thing. So there's a lot of value in the ability that studios are able to say, you know what, I'm going to fill these spots for you. And I'm going to let you grow as an instructor with your own craft and your own business. So I think it's just reiterating, I mean, the value in terms of pay and making sure that instructors feel rewarded for the traffic that they're driving. A lot of business owners are doing this, and I think more and more are shifting towards some sort of incentivized pay rate, whether it's some sort of revenue share or pay per head. But how do you make an instructor feel one with the mission of the studio 
Um, and then the second thing I'm seeing become more and more common is creativity and flexibility. A lot of entrepreneurs in the space are like, I've dreamed of my own modality for years and I don't want to teach someone else's stuff. And that's, I think, where we're going to see a lot of this crash. And I'm sure you can speak to it, especially in the franchise space, as how do you scale? You have to keep consistency. But more experienced trainers may not want to teach someone else's craft. They might want to be more creative. And that's cool, too. And so what might be really important for studio owners is actually building incredible training programs where they build the next generation of instructors. And maybe it's less about bringing old talent back into the studio and more about grooming new talent is the last thing I'll say. Um, but yeah, I think there's a huge opportunity for studios. And I think there's so much value that they deliver to instructors that it's just making instructors aware of everything they do. That definitely makes sense. You know, I didn't even think about it in the past, but there was this sense of kind of security and stability when it came to working for working for a franchise owner. Because they came, they were willing to spend, they were willing to put in the dollars to run Facebook mm -hmm. ads. They were willing to put on the dollars to do all the photo shoots, the video shoots. And it's hard to do all of that. Um, and definitely one other thing that I want to touch on, it's so interesting to get your viewpoint on just the actual teaching program itself. And I, I completely agree. You know, it's kind of like this delicate da dance that the instructors and the franchise owners really have to be able to do because one, it's very incredibly important for franchises to be able to maintain brand equity and, and having a consistent program will help maintain that brand equity. But on the other hand, you know, you also have to be fitness, the franchise owners also have to be mindful that the reason why somebody is so incredibly talented is because of their own style, their personality is just something that they deliver that is so incredibly unique. And you have to be very mindful and respectful of that. So now kind of fasting back, kind of shifting over to, to current state, you know, we're really starting to hear the words diversity inclusion and equality much more than ever before and i'm honestly just so personally inspired by where you've been how you've evolved into being a young female driven founder especially in the technology space where honestly you typically don't see a lot of women lead in so how have you seen this dynamic take place in the industry yeah i think for me actually it's been a little more about age than anything for, for my personal experience, and again, I can only speak to party of one over here. Um, I've been very lucky in the sense that the people around me have just been supported and have been like, you can do whatever you want. But of course, there's been so many instances where it's like, you're so young and naive, you don't know what you're doing. And then you look back at like some of the world's greatest entrepreneurs. And when they started companies, they were so young and, and, and no one knows what they're doing. Of course, I'm the first to admit, I don't know what I don't know. And years of experience on me will definitely help in building and growing a business. Um, but I think the most important thing is, is to not get caught up in that. Like if you love something and you're passionate enough about it, it really shouldn't matter your background and your culture and, and where you're coming from. At the same time, I need to recognize what those things are and I need to be prepared for the questions that come with that. And that could come anything from like, how old are you? And why do you think you know what you're doing? I'm looking at your background and you have no experience to you're a female and what happens if you want to have a child during the length of this company? And as long as I'm able to recognize that it's real life and questions like that are going to come up, they're valid. They're okay. I just need to learn how to navigate them. Um, I think the most important thing that I can recommend other female founders 
um, is to find an incredible network. I've been lucky enough to have mentors that are female founders themselves, female investors, people that have been quite successful as females. There are lots of us. Um, you just got to go searching. You just got to look for people that inspire you and, and stick with the humans that support you. But I, I've been very lucky enough to seek out those people for myself. Yes, it takes a little bit of extra time because there's less of us. Um, but you're one of them. I'm one of them. We're here. And it's just supporting those around you and, and creating that new culture for the future. Definitely. And I think the other part behind that too is, you know, you're right. They're there. They're probably just not as, as known. They're not present yet. And the more that we're able to not only showcase the founders like yourself that are paving the way, the more likely and the more inspired others will be to be able to show out really their talents and then be able to grow their own businesses and so forth. So any exciting things that we can expect from you in future? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, we spoke a lot about this in the conversation, but this new hybrid world we're in, what does that look like? How do you pair an in-person teacher training with a digital experience at hand? And how does that accelerate learning? How does an in-studio brick and mortar expand their offerings by adding courses and programs that are fully digital by making passive income? I think the old wave of revenue models was based on the amount of space that were in between four walls. But now that you can start, operate, and scale a business anywhere, we're really looking to what does cross-selling, upselling, mixing and matching of services look like in the future. Um, and then we're also looking at cross devices is a little sneak peek of some other stuff. So what kind of devices are people watching this on? Are they on iPads? Are they on iPhones? Are they on Roku TVs? Um, so there might be stuff with multiple devices in our future. Oh, talk about trying to <laughs> sell on their seat. That's awesome. Well, Final question, if you can give yes. advice to a young woman that is desiring to be a future entrepreneur, what would you share with them? Yeah, I didn't make this up. This was said to me by a mentor. Um, we were a part of Y Combinator. We were lucky enough to be in one of their batches a little over a year ago. Um, it's just launch. It's just do the damn thing. I think so many people are in this like, I need my color palette. I need my brand. I need my voice. It's my identity. And it's like, you can either sit in the corner and, and be thinking about your brand or you can go do it. Um, obviously easier said than done, but if there's something that you've been thinking about for a while, the worst that happens is nobody buys it. And if nobody buys it, nobody knows you've even launched it. So like nothing lost. Um, so yeah, if there's one piece of advice I could give is like put the magic out there um, because I think there's so much untapped potential and by people that are or just scared what's someone going to think what if no one buys it and isn't it way better to be like hey I tried and failed than like I don't know I'm super old and I've been sitting on this idea kind of like this um I don't know if you've ever of course you've watched Shark Tank and it's like I thought of that idea 10 years ago and that's like a billion dollar company it's oh, like gosh launch the damn thing yeah the wise and powerful words of Rachel Lee, everybody. <laughs> Just lost the damn thing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rachel, for your time. And as mentioned, for all fitness businesses and small business owners, make sure to check out Sutra as your trusted resource to take your fitness business to the next level. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast. And we'll catch you next time on the trip.